Hello everybody, welcome to episode 3 of the Vital Science Podcast. I am your host, Chidindu Madoku. If you're listening in for the first time, the Vital Science Podcast is a series where we humanize healthcare through stories that make the practitioners relevant, that makes us advocate for patient-centered care, and that helps us give information to the general public so that they live and stay healthy and safe. In this episode, I'll be hanging out with Ugochi Obidiegu, aka the safety chief, all the way from Lagos, Nigeria. So let's clap. (laughs) (laughs) Today we're going to discuss more about home fire accidents, how to stay safe, what you should do and what you shouldn't do. But for those who don't know, like if you haven't gotten the memo, I need to read it out so everybody will hear it today. Ugochi Obidiegu is a safety chief advocate. Her movement cuts across anything that has to do with safety, safety education, safety products, safety events, especially for African children and educators. And then the idea is to make sure that we're grooming intentionally a safety conscious Nigeria, a safety conscious group of children, safety conscious group of um, educators. In the long run, like everyone needs to be safety conscious. She has been on several platforms and she is still working on the Train Them Young initiative, right? Where she has trained over 5,000 students in Nigeria and Ghana. She's an author. She has written an illustrative storybook for children. It's a safety storybook for children called The Adventures of Muna, which you can find on Amazon and has sold in more than 11 states in Nigeria and seven countries all over the world. And of course, you know, people who do genuine work, they get to grow over time. So these are the really, the really snake cheeks of the of the world, not even just Nigeria. In 2016, she was she was a Yali Regional Leadership Center Fellow. In 2017, she was a finalist for McKinsey Next Generation Women Leader Award. In 2018, she became both a Tony Alumelu Entrepreneur and a Mandela Washington Fellow. In 2018-2019, she was a West African Regional Advisory Board to IREX. I hope that's how it's called. Yes, yes, Irish. And you said, yes, on matters relating to Mandela Washington Fellowship, she won the AfriSafe Award in the Shining Star category for her contribution to the safety industry. And she is a member of the World Safety Organization, like the whole world. She's a member. Ugo, as in, I feel so happy <laughs> to have you here. And I feel very honored because I know that the kind of work you do takes a lot of your time, your treasure, your mental energy, but you made out time to be here with me. I feel very much honored and I want to thank you very much for showing up. So I welcome you to the show. Thank you so much for welcoming me. I'm delighted to be here. (laughs) Yay, I feel like clapping my hands and my legs for you. (laughs) So let's get straight to the kill. So for the kind of work you do, like I was trying to say, I know it requires a lot of energy, requires a lot of commitment. And I want to know, like, what inspired the Safety Chicks journey? What was it that happened that you sprang up from your chair and said, aha, this is the moment I need to begin. 
and how have you been able to go through the journey and sustain it for a very long while because i see that even before the awards are coming in 2016 you have been doing a lot of work i want to know like let us know what inspired the journey and then how it has been so far for you okay so i'll say that it's a combination of factors right Okay. So the very first thing that um, that started the chain reaction was the news of a, a, a fire at a popular supermarket on the island here in Lagos. Wow. A few days after, in the newspapers, I was just seeing stories of people dying from avoidable accidents. Either it was um, a jerry can of, of petrol exploding in their houses or generator fumes or and all that. And then I also remembered the way I lost my mom. I lost my mom in a road um, accident because of a careless driver. You know, so all those things came together and I just thought that with a little bit more information, you know, people would know what to do to protect themselves and others. Because from what, from my situation with my mom, people on the scene not knowing what to do, to the situation at the supermarket, to the stories in the newspaper, you know, I could just see that gap. Because initially when I started um, working in the area of safety, my goal was to work in um, other industries, the oil and gas industry to, uh, in particular. I was planning to leave aviation to go into the oil and gas industry. I didn't even know at the time that I was going to be doing this. But all these things, I just thought, just with a little bit more information, people would know what to do. And so I decided to start sharing information in a simplified manner so that the everyday man could understand, basically. For me, it's about the everyday man knowing what to do because safety professionals we know what to do we know all the jargons but the everyday man may not know it so except you're able to simplify it and bring it down to his or her context they would not see the importance of safety it was in the course of doing that i also saw the need to bring in the children of god because i could see that adults were kind of set in their ways and that habits had been fully formed so it was a bit difficult trying to get the adults to switch well, we would get those that would switch, but you know, you know how it is. It's a bit difficult to get full-blown adults to switch. But children are still moldable, you know. We can still uh, shaping them to what we want, and that's how that um, started. Up to date, I think it has just been um, me getting a lot of clarity on the way. I find that in whatever you set your hands to do, you would not get all the answers at the beginning. But in the process of doing, things get clearer, you have more insight, you have more ideas, you're able to fine-tune your plans, you know. But all that would come as you start and as you move. It won't start when you're just waiting for everything to come together. So that's how it's been, basically. Oh, wow. I like the part that you are fine-tuning complex safety narratives for the everyday person because really I, I i can relate with you on that path especially in the field of health people will only take action when you speak to them in a language that they can understand and i also like the fact exactly yeah i also like the fact that everything cannot happen at once and you can't figure it out at once clarity has to come with consistency thank you for sharing this whole path with us for a while now We've been hearing about home accidents that will result in fire outbreaks. And of course, we know that there are so many things that can cause fire in our homes. But recently, something happened that moved me, Ugo. This was the death of my parish priest on the 16th of November. This is happening in Niwi. Like, as we're having this conversation, I'm calling you from Niwi. And I really felt bad because the thing was like an explosion. 
and a whole lot of things were coming to mind. They said he had just come in at 1 a.m. The explosion happened at 2 a.m. So me, I just felt that because there was there were no like electric supply at that time, PHCN are taking the, the currents by that time. So I felt it probably would be a bomb. And I'm like, what would somebody want from a priest that would make him set him up to explosion? Would it be like a Greek gift? Would it be something that he probably received as a gift and at the end of the day have something inside. But recently the news on the internet is saying that they have gone to find out and they, they saw that it was an inverter battery explosion. And I really want to understand how these things work. I can relate to its water heater and all of that, but I want to understand like, why do batteries explode, especially inverter batteries? And then what other household equipments are capable of causing fire explosions like that in our home? Okay, um, so I'll start um, answering this question by talking a little bit about how fire starts. Okay. So um, for a fire to start, right, three things must come together. We, um, we have um, oxygen, fuel, and heat. Mm. Of course, we all know what oxygen is. But in the context of fire, fuel is not just um, petrol and diesel. Fuel is anything that can burn, anything at all. Then, of course, we all know what heat is. Now, these three things must come together for a fire to start. So also for a fire to stop, it's usually called the triangle of fire. For, for a fire to stop, you need to take out one of those elements so that the, tri- the legs of the triangle will no longer be complete. So that's way the fire would stop. So bringing it now to um, this um, battery explosion, inverter batteries have a tendency to overheat. Okay. And now once something is overheating and it's in a confined space, hmm. at some point an explosion is going to happen because in that space you have fuel, you have things that can burn, then you have the overheating that's already causing it to be intense, and of course there is oxygen. Hmm. But you see, if um if if the legs of the triangle uh one of the legs of the triangle is removed, so now in the case of the but in the battery, let's say it's in a really, um, it's in a location that is cool, you know, that is airy, well ventilated. So no matter how it's overheat, there is that balance because ventilation keeps on coming and reducing the temperature. So there's not even a, po- a possibility of it getting overheated. Mm-hmm. So this is why whoever is coming to set up um, inverters should be a competent person. You know, it's very important that it is somebody that knows what he or she is doing. Somebody that has the competency in that area that should do it. Because that person knows that this is the risk of a battery. It's something that can get heated. And so it has to be positioned, it has to be installed at a place that is airy, a place that is properly ventilated. So now, again, ideally, ideally, most inverters um, inverter battery should be built to have uh, a shut-off capability okay. so that when it begins to sense overheating happening, it will turn off automatically whether a human being is close by or not. Because mistakes can happen, you know, so that's why that capability should be built in. So I really don't know how the various the various kind of inverter batteries that are in the market, but I know that just as we have products that are of good quality, we also have those that are of low quality. And so maybe the ones that are of low quality might not have this um, shot of capability per se. Uh-huh. And so that's actually what can cause an inverter battery explosion. 
overheating and maybe faulty wiring and you see that's why i mentioned there has to be a competent person that should install it so if it is properly installed and then it is installed in the right location where heat um, the um, potential for overheating is greatly reduced and then the short-term capabilities are in place to a large extent a fire would not break out from from that then you said um, example of other things in the homes that could lead to explosion. Well, anything that is connected to and to a power source can explode for a variety of reasons. It could be faulty wiring, it could be a short circuit, it could be power surge. All those things could cause a fire to start. It could even be an overloaded electrical outlet. It's this thing that happens in most homes where once power is restored everybody plugs everything pluggable so you see in one extension box there is chargeable there is um there's all the phones in the house there's all the laptops you know there's so much plugs in there there are even cases of people connecting extension to extension you know so those things help to put us at risk and we take it for granted because maybe nothing has happened but you see all you just need is either faulty wiring fast soldier for something to just for a power cord to be damaged and you just see that things could go wrong within a twinkle of an eye. Yes. And then, of course, also in the home, gas cylinders also could explode. Yeah, so that's that. One of the things that causes panic when there's a fire outbreak or increases panic is actually when people get to die. So I can tell you for sure that the situation in Niri right now is quite calm. I was at mass Wednesday, that was like two days ago, and I couldn't even control myself. I, I thought I was even the only person until I found a woman sobbing uncontrollably because if you know somebody, like have a personal relationship with somebody, and then the person just dies just like that, and the scenario is that bad. I mean, what I've seen on social media and all is crazy. Once you just picture that, and then you realize that someone has died from a fire outbreak. The panic, the feel, um, the, the way you feel and all of that just worsens. But I really need to know, for especially for those who are present in a fire outbreak, and somehow, whether somebody dies or not, but in most cases, when people die, like what are the most important things to do during a fire outbreak? Okay, so the priority is to call for help and leave that building as in fact as quickly as you can. Most especially if you do not have the competence to fight the fire or the fire is bigger than you. What happens most times is that people want to take pictures, do videos, but that that is not the priority at that time. You should leave the beauty because see the thing is fires work very fast once it has started before you know it a lot can go wrong so your priority is call for help and calling for help where we have the emergency phone numbers right calling for help could also be shouting hello help fire it's also calling for help you understand and get out of the video as quickly as possible now and the reason this is because we do not want a dead hero right we don't want you to in the process of trying to fight a fire that is bigger than you you die in the process or or you do aim to use a fire extinguisher and then you don't know how to use it properly and then you do more harm than good you know so that's why priority is for you to leave the building as soon as you can however if the fire is small it's still starting out say you are in the kitchen or you can see it you know as it's beginning to start 
and you know how to use a fire extinguisher. That's why every home should have a fire extinguisher. You can get the fire extinguisher and use it. And um, there's a training for how to use a fire extinguisher. I know that if people go online, you can find information. Actually, the acronym for using a fire extinguisher is PASS, P-A-S-S. So once you get the cylinder, um, the fire extinguisher cylinder, you pull the pin. After pulling the pin, you aim the nozzle of the extinguisher at the base of the fire. The mistake a lot of people make is they just aim the nozzle in the middle of the fire. You know, they just want to do something. But what happens is that you would have wasted the fire extinguisher and nothing tangible is going to happen. You know, so you are supposed to aim that nozzle at the base of the fire and then you use a sweeping motion. That's the last S. You um, you squeeze the lever and then use a sweeping motion to sweep from side to side. So P, you are pulling the pin. A, you are aiming at the base of the fire, aiming the nozzle of the extinguisher at the base of the fire. S, you are squeezing the lever so that you can discharge the contents of the extinguisher. And the other S, you are sweeping as you are um, using the nozzle to fight the fire from side to side. So, and that is if you know how to use it and the size of the fire is small. But if the fire is already looking bigger than you, you and your one fire, one cylinder fire extinguisher would not be enough. So your your priority is to leave the building. And that's why the first thing I mentioned is leave the building if you are not competent to fight the fire and the fire is bigger than you. Call for help because when you call for help, fire service, they have more equipment and they're able to handle it. And prior to fire service coming, calling for help means that your neighbors are aware something is going on and everybody begins to pitch in either with water, you know, to douse the fire, you know. And then would also, uh, I'd also like to mention that most times um, when fire starts, right, what um, people might experience first is smoke. And most times it's actually the smoke that kills before the fire even comes to do the rest of the job. Smoke and other fumes that are exposed during a fire. So it's important that once anybody finds themselves in a smoke-filled building, they must go down low. They must go on their knees and crawl out as quickly as possible. Because the thing with smoke is it is cutting off your oxygen supply. And so you have very limited oxygen supply. So you must act quickly because once you're out of oxygen, you are going to pass out. And so that's why priority is leave the building. For children, we tell them priority, you are running out. You are not hiding inside the house, under the table, or in one corner. No, no, no. You must run out of the burning building. These are full of insights. So from having to not form hero, I think that's the most important thing. Because even in the last fire outbreak in Onicha, some people were trying mm-hmm. to form hero. But I didn't know how that ended because some came out safe. I doubt some actually sometimes some people are also hanging around the burning building, forgetting that a house that is burning can collapse. Wow. You know, and so the passers passers by now end up becoming victims of something that could have been avoided. So most Mm -hmm. times because of this curiosity and trying to sensationalize things on social media, people want to take videos and do pictures and you are endangering yourself. So you might not even have been in the building that is having a fire because you were around the premises and you're not in a safe space. You could become a victim of the fire. That's another angle. Thank you for pointing that out. And one thing again is that we know, like you said, fire spreads very fast and because it spreads very fast, it could change our lives forever. People have lost their loved ones. Some have lost important documents to to fire outbreaks. 
And for those who are even without fire insurance, because I, I, I really doubt that a lot of people know much about these things. Just maybe those who have a lot of money and all. For those without fire insurance, they have to begin life again. So what can people who are most affected do after a fire accident to get along physically, mentally and otherwise? Especially mentally because a lot of things will change. I keep thinking of the vicar of my parish who is currently hospitalized. I know that the trauma will be real for him even months after. He might not even be back to the same parish house, but I mean, he needs to really come along, get along and then fit back, try to get himself again and continue his, his normal priestly duties. So what can people who are affected by fire do to get along in all these areas? Okay, so in terms of physically, the house must be properly inspected for structural damage and so that it can be sorted out before moving back into the house. That's if you are going to have to go back to the house. But if not, then the option would be to leave and get another place. But it's really important that if you are going to go back to the house, proper inspection is done, repairs are done to avoid um, a reoccurrence. So that's that for physically. Now for mentally, it's okay to feel bad. You know, what happens here is that, you know, there might be a tendency to blame oneself. What could I have done better? You know, but no, no, that is not the time. It has happened. It has happened. So it's okay to feel bad, express your emotions, but do not swallow them. Move on. Move on sounds like, might um, sound um, Very not really empathetic, you know. But I understand that that's, but that's why we have to be deliberate about the things we are going to do. So use necessary stress reduction techniques. We need to do some breathing exercises from time to time. That's fine. As much as possible, take your time to rest and eat well. Don't be in a rush to to be able to say, oh, I am better now. Take your time because you've just gone through a life-changing experience and um, you, you don't want to um, rush out without going through the, um, the phases so that you are not, it doesn't come back at some point in the future, you know. So rest, eat well. As much as possible, don't isolate yourself. I know that there will be times that you may want to retreat. Yes, but as much as possible, take advantage of the support offered by friends, by family, by members of the community. Don't put yourself under too much pressure. And um, because um, fire makes you feel like control was taken out of your hands. So try to um, restore some control by making daily decisions that makes you feel like okay yes you are still in control of some aspect of your life but avoid making major decisions say relocating or or maybe quitting the job you know those are major decisions that should not be taken at this phase so besides that you just take your time and go through the process stay positive don't put yourself under so much pressure and you'll be fine and then, of course, find reasons to be thankful. I mean, you're alive, right? It's yeah. possible that you could have died. Okay, so maybe you lost property, but you're alive. When there is life, there is hope, you know? So find things to be thankful for and always fix your gaze on those. Okay. I like the fact that you pointed out the idea of trying to make sure you go through the processes because we find people who suppress some of these emotions and one day they are just angry and you're wondering where... The, the outburst is coming from. We don't even know that it might just be a mental breakdown from a series of events like fire, the fire incident that would have happened maybe years ago. You know, but I like the mm-hmm. point that you're pointing out the fact that emotions should not be suppressed, that people should not wake up and leave their location because 
it is the same people in your workplace the same people in the places that you hang out that you see that will even help you to to get better so thank you really for pointing that out i know that we have answered indirectly that you've answered questions about what to do and what not to do but i really want to just clarify are there specific things that people should not do after a fire outbreak apart from the ones that you have mentioned earlier okay so i'll just reiterate again that you should not enter the house until you have been given permission because there might be some things that have been um that have been damaged and once you step in it could fall on you you know so ensure yes ensure that a professional has gone in to check and assess the damage first before you go in by yourself and then of course when the professional goes the professional is also checking the utilities the electric utilities gas and water and that everything is fine so until they give you that permission and they can say that everything is safe do not turn on gas do not turn on electric um, facilities because you don't know what reaction is going to happen so that's why it's important that a professional has to go in first now if uh, maybe a car was around when this um, damage happened also you have to be careful don't start or move if it has been damaged and then it's important to state here that yes by yourself don't try to clean the damage Hmm. try to get professionals because you would have the proper equipment because you see there's a lot of dust there's a lot of smoke you know and um, you may not have the right equipment to an experience also to clean appropriately so get help for that before you go in yes okay thank you for pointing all these ones out I want to find out because you have already said something about fire extinguishers and how to use fire extinguishers. Are there specific things that we have to do in Nigeria to make our homes fireproof? Fire has the power to do a lot of damages, but are there things that could be done to achieve proof of our houses or of our buildings, of our business um, areas from fire? I would say that if you are the one building your house, you have a lot of control so from the beginning you can speak with your engineer about the features that you want to be installed say maybe a fire resistant material should be used when building then you could have um, fixtures fixed permanently from scratch when you are building but if you are not the one building you don't really have that much control so what you can just do is just ensure that you have um, safe habits and practices in your home and that you have a fire safety plan because what happens is that a lot of times we do not plan for these things so they take us unawares but when we have a plan that is practiced that is communicated to everybody living in that house when something happens everybody knows what to do and it reduces casualties by far so you need to have safe habits so safe habits like um turning off electrical appliances when not in use this is why um in most places of work they have these stickers around the premises that before you are leaving the place about to tell you have you turned up all electrical appliances because they realize that if those things are left turned on and everybody is at home at night there's a pass surge or something just goes wrong the building can be down before everybody comes to work the next day so same thing in our houses also if for example you are leaving the sitting room to go to the bedroom turn off anything that is not in use i mean the tv the fans the acs whatever just turn everything off turn off when you're not using 
always use competent professionals when you have to fix anything electrical because you do not have that competency. I know nowadays everybody goes to Google, everybody wants to do things by themselves. Mm-hmm. They want to connect the red wire and the blue wire. It's not just connecting red and blue wire. You know, there, there might be things you do not know. That's why you need a professional to prevent um, accidents. And then of course, this overloading of sockets too is another issue. We need to stop it. So once we have, we are able to incorporate safety habits into our everyday life, right? And then we have a safety plan for what to do. To some extent, we'll be able to um, make our homes fireproof. So for example, you know, this one that um, the fire service has been sharing information recently about people not using their phones when they are when they are in the kitchen, you know, turning up the gas cylinder when you are done, ensuring that where your gas cylinder is located is properly ventilated so that um, even if maybe there's a leakage, diffusion happens and it's not um, concentrated enough to lead to an explosion. So it's the same thing here also. Once you have you maintain a safe habit and you have a plan, it's easier to make your home safe. Thank you for lifting out that part. Like the part that even got to me was this overloading of sockets. By that you mean like people having one extension, plugging one extension to another extension, right? And having all their properties on it in um, plugged into these extensions. Okay. I just wanted to clarify because that's a common thing that we see. But I hope that those who are listening will get to learn that these things are ways that we can actually start fire outbreaks. Now, one of the things that got to me, Ugo, was that in the course of this fire, the explosion happened and the fire service people, right, were able to come in within 30 minutes from the location where they were in the in the market. There's a particular motorcycle trade and spare part market in Niri called Nkonniri. Someone was able to contact them and they came within 30 minutes. But by the time they had come, the door of the parish priest could not open. Now, the other vicar managed to come out according to stories that were told because he had already figured out how to maybe go to bed and then lock his door or that the fire didn't start from his room. But how he was able to escape was that his key was already at the back of his door. So he just managed to make his way, turn the key and pulled the door with his strength and came out. But in the case of the main parish priest, he couldn't. And you know these metal doors, when you install them, Normal physics tells us that in the presence of heat, there's linear or aerial expansivity. And it means that in case of fire outbreaks, these doors get to, metal doors get to expand. So I want to ask, how should doors be installed for fire emergencies? Should they have a push or pull effect? More like when you're escaping from the building, how exactly should they be installed so that fire emergencies will be had as it will be, will be factored in when installing these kinds of metal doors? Okay, so um, usually it's advised that doors should open in the direction of escape. Okay. For instance, if you're inside the room now, you want a situation where when you open the door, the door is opening outward, out in the direction of you going out and not coming in. But some sources say that as long as it doesn't waste time, it doesn't matter what the direction is. But personally, I would go with a door opening in the direction of escape so that you don't have a situation that when you open the door, maybe the door is hitting you or it's delaying your exit time, but you're just opening, you're moving out in that direction. That's what I would say. Yes, opening outward in the direction of escape. Okay. 
one other thing that actually raised my suspicion was that I thought since it was an explosion from the way it had been described because when this thing happened on the 16th of November it was not even around or it was described they said there was there was no source of electricity at that point they just heard boom the neighbors heard it and started calling for help now one thing that came to my mind was we have been that like I said earlier someone probably gave the priest a gift or gave him a gift and it was it had an explosive device in it and as much as yes there has been a, a, an official statement saying oh it was an explosion from an inverter battery and all that I just want to find out especially in this festive period how can we handle suspicious gifts because we know this is a time where children and adults are expecting a lot anybody can be Santa because in Nigeria really apart from the ones that we go to specific places to see anybody can be Santa in our villages anybody can be Santa anywhere how can we stay careful with the kinds of things that we receive from people. Okay, I would say that it's about vigilance and for us to also be able to assess whatever is given to us. Mm. So as adults, we have a duty to observe we need to be able to check um, how does it feel to the talk. Teach you must show it so that it helps that if something is suspicious, we are able to trace it. Yes, so for me, that's um, basically what I would say because you may not totally be able to stop people from giving, but you have a duty to receive. You can receive or you can decline receiving. And then when you receive, you should be able to assess properly. And for children, we ensure that they are able to report. Because once um, children are giving things and they are not showing it to someone, there is no accountability. So anything can go wrong and you won't be able to trace where it came from. Sure. You know. So basically, that's what I would say, yes. I also know that you are not just a safety advocate, you have a strong background in communications, right? In mass comm. Yes. Okay. So I want to ask, because in every typical fire outbreak, people, you find all sorts of people, especially in this age where social media encourages citizen journalism in quotes, but some people use it to spread fake stories, add their own salt and pepper, and you know, just magnify the whole thing, even where it's quite small or make it small when it's quite big. Now, my question is, how can we correctly report fire accidents without blowing it out of proportion or showing disrespect to the dead by sharing their images? We're really used to these kinds of things in Nigeria. And it's becoming a problem. Find a fire outbreak, someone is, is dead or in a compromising situation, and you're busy sharing pictures all over the media, trying to be the first to carry news that that does not speak of the kind of empathy that you should show to a fellow human being. So I want to ask, how should stories about fire be reported? Okay, so when reporting, it is very important that we must be exact with what is going on. We should only say what we see and not what we think. Hmm. Because words actually have, um, what in, in, in accident reporting, the words you use determine certain actions that will be taken. So for example, now um, in the case of fire, there are different classes of fire. And so because there are different classes, the way they are fought or the um, firefighting agent that is used differs. So depending on what you say to um, um, the fire service when you are calling in to report the fire, that to some extent determines their own planning. So for example, if you tell the fire service that the fire is happening at a fuel station, and then, or you 
call and you say it's happening at a paper factory those are two different classes of fire so they're already beginning to say, think okay if it is happening here maybe we should take this or we should add that you know so it informs a lot so we need to be careful let's let's um not say what we don't know for example if they ask you what's the color of this smoke is it black is it white or is it ash you can't be saying something and you can see black and then you say it is ash or it is white they have their reasons for asking certain questions when we call it to make reports you know so people must always report what they see not what they think so that's the first part in terms of reporting the second part is that as a country we need to stop this culture of sensationalizing things on social media all these sharing pictures and videos and giving controversial commentary it causes more harm than good it's not fair that somebody comes on, on social media and they see their family member's dead body on your page before they are even informed there's no control and of course you know commentary here and there it's it's um it doesn't speak good so we need to stop it our first response when we see things going wrong is to see how we can help be not um tweeting not making videos not um going on facebook to comment about it so that's what i would say ugo i've really had a good time with you thank you for taking out time to break down these things and really the essence of having these conversations is that as you even get to talk about some of these things i'm also learning and i know that you have lots of safety events lots of safety products and all and i remember that in the introduction we talked about your book adventures of muna and i want to find out what is the fundamental purpose of that illustrated story book and how can we get copies where can we get copies there an online platform that we can get to and then just purchase okay so um i wrote the child safety story book because i realized that When I started visiting schools in 2016 to teach children about various aspects of safety, when I gave them stories of what happened in another country or in another school, it got their attention. And so I thought, okay, that means this is a good medium to um share safety concepts. And so in my storybook, we have a lead character who is a young girl. She uses her everyday experiences to teach about making safe choices. So whether it's talking about how to prevent falls from the stairs or how to prevent falls from um from spills or how to prevent abduction when somebody comes to your school that is a stranger or how to behave when you have to travel to a new location or how to even prevent molestation. So in each chapter we are covered we all we cover different aspects of safety but in a story format so we are creating um a whole story but in it you are learning safety lessons and so this has actually been a hit with the children because since it is a story they don't really feel that burden or pressure of learning but they are learning but it's entertainment you know so at the end when you're asking them questions they have so much to say because they've learned so much even though they were just listening to a story and so that's why um the the book is um the book has uh, made a lot of impact so currently we have books in various bookstores physical bookstores but we also have it online we have it on amazon most especially for maybe those that are outside the country but here in nigeria we also have it on my company's website and then of course when people send direct messages on social media or through email 
we're also able to facilitate purchases for them. So for the website, it can be found on www.ulomka.com. Can you take that again, please? Yes, so that's Ulomka. Yes, www.ulomka.com slash store. Okay. Yes, so u-l-o-m-k-a is ulomka.com slash store but also when people send direct emails to ugochi at the safety chick.com chick without a k (laughs) ugochi at the safety chick.com direct emails also helps us to process their their purchases yes also if a message is sent on twitter on instagram or on facebook to the dms we're able to also process those purchases. Okay. So for those who are listening in, you can get the, the Adventures of Muna from the Safety Chicks official website, www.ulomka.com. You can also reach out to her on Instagram and Twitter at the Safety Chick. Her Facebook page is the Safety Chick. And of course, Chick is c-h-i-c without the k if you want to engage with her invite her to your your children's school your event or anywhere that she can talk to children and adults about safety you can always reach out to her at gochi at the safety she has a community which is a safety tribe people who are interested in learning about safety so that they can apply it to their everyday lives. Gift a copy to a child that you know, to your children, to your neighbor's children, or to your nephews, your nieces, just anybody who should have an idea of what is happening with regards to safety in Nigeria. Ugo, please, I'd like to find out if you have any current idea or project that you're working on regarding safety, because I feel like beyond here, there should be a lot more, and people might want to be interested considering the the value of the information that you have shared with us. So do you have anything currently ongoing that the audience can be a part of? Okay, so we have the Train Them Young Initiative, which helps us to visit schools, places of worship across the country, teaching children how to stay safe in different situations. They reach out, if if anybody's interested in us visiting their school, we have volunteers in different states. All they need to do is reach out via email and then we can work out how that is going to work for them. So whether it's a place of worship, whether it's a school, whether it's a book club, we are available to come. Then the next one is we're already planning our annual school safety summit for next year. Mm-hmm. Every year we have the school safety summit where we try to bridge the knowledge gap for educators on matters relating to school safety. Wow. So while in the process of onboarding partners, we've had three episodes already. So next year's edition will be our fourth one. So I would encourage all educators and parents to visit our website and join our mailing list so that as information is rolled out, they get it straight to their mobile devices so they can plan towards it. Okay, that's good. So the the Train Them Young Initiative, the School Safety Summit, please make sure that you're part of what is happening now. You don't want your child abducted from school when they can have certain information on their fingertips for free. So that's that, Ugo. I'd like to thank you again. Like, I'm continuously grateful because it's not easy. And um, I had a really good time with you. It was an eye-opening session. I learned a lot. 
But really, I would like to know, like, what are your final words? What is the most important piece of advice that you can give or you have received as a safety chick and you can tell somebody out there that they can actually apply to their everyday lives? So this is an advice in terms of safety, right? Yeah. Okay, so I would say situational awareness. Hmm. Situational awareness means that you are constantly conscious of your environment at every point in time. Hmm. When we are situationally aware, it helps to see if there is something wrong in our environment. It helps to see how to protect ourselves. But if we are not paying attention, if something goes wrong, we could get affected. And so I'd like to advise that people are more conscious of the environment. I mean, if you are conscious, you would know when an environment suddenly gets too quiet, you are suddenly in a deserted location, and maybe somebody starts walking behind you at a pace, and maybe they want to grab you or something. But if you are not paying attention, you are lost in your own world with your earphones, fiddling with your mobile device, you won't even know that something has changed in your environment. So I would like to advise everybody to be situationally aware. And another thing is uh, mindset and habit towards safety. We shouldn't keep on thinking, God forbid, and it's not my portion. We have to be deliberate. We really have to be deliberate about ensuring our safety, put necessary systems in place, buy necessary devices or equipment, just necessary, just basically being conscious, you know. Because to a large extent, that might what that might be what would save our lives, really. So thank you so much, Gochi Obidiego. I really appreciate your presence and you being on the show today. And I'm sure that you listening out there would make a lot of sense from the things that Gochi has shared with us today. So I'm really very grateful and I say thank you, thank you, and thank you over and again. Thank you, Ugo. Uh, you're welcome. Thank, thank you so much for having me. I, I really appreciate it. Yeah, you're welcome, sir. I had a really great time today talking with Ugochi Obidiego, aka the safety chief about home fire accidents and i like the fact that she's doing a lot of work to make safety something that is relatable memorable and shareable amongst the everyday nigerian at the end of this episode i'm sure you would have learned what to do and what not to do during after and before a fire outbreak do you have questions comments or critique is there anything of interest you would love to see on this show Please get to share them with me by tweeting at me at I am Chidindu at I am C H I D I N D U. You can also send a mail to chidindu.mo at gmail.com. Don't forget to follow our podcast series on Anchor. You can also listen in as it is republished on Google Podcasts and Spotify. You can also find a guide on the show notes to help you keep you on track or help you get back on track in case if there's anything that you missed out whilst listening to this episode. I am also on other social media platforms with the same username as I am Chidindu. I'm on Facebook, I'm on Medium, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn because there are things that I share on these platforms that they never make it to the Vital Science Podcast show. But however, if you have questions, you can always tweet at me so go ahead and tell your friends tell the friends of your friends your acquaintances your relatives 
the thing that you have learned today especially around fire safety and home fire accidents of course we know that this is not our portion god forbid we don't pray for all that but it could be the portion of a loved one or the loved one of a loved one so go ahead and share don't keep us a secret and stay healthy stay relevant and stay safe bye